Hi, I'm Tally, and this is First Day Back. When we left off a couple of episodes ago, my film about the Faya, the sculpture that the kids build and then burn down, was in limbo. We still didn't have enough funding to decide if we could go ahead. It's not unheard of to be in a situation like this, where you don't know if you'll film just a few weeks before you're actually supposed to film, but it's stressful. You can't plan anything, and your mind is constantly working on two options, if we film or if we don't film. We made a decision to shave two more weeks off the filming start date, but then the Fayat organizers were going to be doing their recruitment interviews, and we needed to film that. While I was emailing my producer, Philippe, about our one last idea for money, I got an urgent message to call Elodie. She's the person in charge of the Faya. I called her back. She is saying that they've not been able to get their own budget in order, and they've decided to cancel this season. I'm shocked because even though I knew they were having funding problems, I had heard that they do every year and that they always pull through. Now, they won't be building the sculpture. They won't be burning it down. Instead, my film is going up in flames. When they light stuff on fire, it's intentional, which is way more fun. Their whole building up and burning down metaphor is obviously more resonant for me than ever. And I guess that's the lesson they want the kids who participate in the program to take home with them. You may experience failure, but rebuilding is always an option. There's something else I've been trying to build, and that's the sense I had in my 20s and 30s of being an artist, a documentary filmmaker. You spend so many years creating the idea of who you are. Then you have kids, and they burn it down. Kids are wonderful, but that happens. The writer Sarah Manguso wrote it this way. Before my son was born, she says, my life was full. I believed that writing was the center of my life. Everything else revolved around it. You could replace the word writing for filmmaking or work or whatever your thing was in your 20s. But now she knows that writing was a choice and that once you become a mother, you can't be a mother sometimes and other times not. It's a shattering, she says, a disintegration of the self, after which the original form is quite gone. We're designed to survive all these fires. We're just never the same after. So what have I learned from doing this podcast about survival, about rebuilding? And about that sticky question that's been hanging over every episode. Can we have it all? My generation, Gen X, were raised believing that we could be working women and mothers. It's as if we said the phrase and then magical thinking was going to make it so. But then there's who will take care of your baby when you go to work, feeling guilty when you leave your kid with someone else, coworkers who give you a look when you leave to pick up your sick kid when nobody else can. It's just not as simple as that easy catchphrase. 
I read that Helen Gurley Brown didn't even mean balancing work and kids when she wrote her book. It's just that Gen Xers latched onto it. Let's go get some context. This generation is a hoo-ha, a hoo-ha generation, because they're screwed up. You know what that means? Screwed up. That's Lillian Einbinder. She's a friend of my husband's granny, and she's 97, which means she was born in 1918, one year after most women were granted the vote in the U.S. When she got married at 21, it was 1938. And I recommend no one get married at 21. You have no life. I didn't have any fun. And then I got married, and you marry a man, you're their mother, more or less. Unless a little bit sex, bing, bang. But other than that, you're their mother. When she got married, there was no birth control, no feminism as we know it. And her take on working moms is in line with that. I didn't go back to work when I had children because... I feel children need a mother's love. Very important. When you were when you stayed at home with the kids, did you ever feel conflicted about it? No. They were more important to me than anything. My two children were my life. If you have children, that's your responsibility to do for them what they need. They did not ask to be born. I met Lillian at David's granny's senior's home. Not long after starting the podcast, I went around asking these older ladies for wisdom in the hopes that they would spur me on and say things like, go work because I never had the chance. But their answers were invariably some form of what Lillian said. I stayed home with the kids and that's what mothers should do. I didn't think I was going to use these clips because haven't we come a long way since then? Then I read that millennial women, young women in their 20s, don't believe in having it all the way my generation did. They're aware that having kids might cut into their career success, and they're more likely to believe they'll have to choose between motherhood and career. To them, my opinion is outdated, and I'm their Lillian Einbinder. My generation, or at least me, I don't know if I can speak for my generation, sees having it all as sort of this myth, this like outdated anachronistic concept that doesn't really um, apply to our lives. My cousin Delaney is a millennial who reminds me of myself at that age, except she's more accomplished and more articulate. She works in international affairs and is about to start a job at the UN in New York. Yeah, that UN. I, I think that way partially because of my, the exposure that I had to so many so many women who were professionals when I was growing up and also in the media who talked about the difficulties of being a woman in the workplace or being a mother and the, and how difficult it was to bridge the two and also just the idea of problems with gender equality um, in their daily lives. And so having it all seem like this sort of poster board um media concepts that didn't really apply to what my life would look like. It's so surprising to me because having it all was basically what we feel like we were promised and that didn't really pan out. So I'm encouraged to see that you guys have a more realistic view. I mean, I don't think that you can't be a successful person and professionally um, and not be a successful person as a parent. I don't think that's true at all, but there are only so many hours in the day. You know, you have to make choices. I just think that that women 
are often forced to make the choice. Do you think you want to have kids? I definitely want to have kids. Are you going to take time off when you are going to do that? I personally, for me, don't think I would be very happy if I, what I was doing mainly for a year or more than that is just childcare. My professional identity is such a big part of who I am that I wouldn't want to give it up for a year, but I would need some sort of flexible situation, at least for the beginning or um, further down the line if I had kids. So I had hours where I could see them. Yeah. I just don't think this having it all thing is, is something that's for women. Like, of course, there's no way we can be executives and, you know, CEOs of Fortune 500 company and be working 80-hour weeks and have an incredibly fulfilling family life. But men can't do that either. And I think that my generation understands, or at least the cohort of people that I associate with, we understand that both men and women will have to make compromises if we want an equal household. And, you know, maybe the woman makes all the compromises, maybe the men makes all the compromises. And it's just about how we negotiate, you know, who compromises their career, their family, and in what ways and at what time. I hope that was helpful. It's fun to talk about myself. <laughs> Millennials also like that. I don't know if you read, read it about that we're self-absorbed. <laughs> the thing is, Delaney is pre-bonfire. The most important thing in her life is her work because kids don't exist yet. You can't know about the ashes until you've been burned. And her ideas sound an awful lot like my own dreams. She wants to do both. But maybe it will be different for her. Who's to say? I admire her thinking and what I hear of her generation. Maybe if you go in without the expectation that you'll have it all, you won't struggle as much. It doesn't sound like Lillian Einbinder struggled. So maybe Delaney won't either. The Delaney's of the world are taking over, and that's how things change. Here's some proof. I recorded this one afternoon in my basement. I applied for this job, a podcaster producer job, which is kind of a big deal to me because I've, it's not a documentary job, it's a podcast producing job, but I'd like to keep doing this and I could do it from my home and the hours are flexible, so that's actually a big bonus. So I'd been planning for this interview, booking it back and forth on email and then you know, we called each other on Skype and these two women um, who were interviewing me, <laughs> when the Skype camera turned on, they were so young. <laughs> they were like, oh my God, they were so young. They were, um, well, they're definitely millennials. They're in their 20s. And the first thought that popped into my head when they were on the screen was, oh my God, you are controlling my life right now. It felt like all of a sudden the rules of the universe had changed. Like, I feel like I'm very bubbly and I'm a little bit hysterical right now because I was just trying to seem so young and fun. <laughs> so bad. Yeah, I didn't ask them to record the interview because I think recording a job interview must be the most awkward possible thing to ask for permission to record. Anyhow, David came home early from work to watch the kids. So he's what I'm in the basement and he's watching them upstairs. And I ran up and I told him about it. And I said, the, these women were like early 20s. And he said, oh, so like you could have actually given birth to them, which was not helpful. So we'll see where this goes. 
For me, personally, the podcast has helped me answer my own question. Why did I take six years off my career when I thought of myself as an ambitious, career-oriented woman? Part of it is the fire, for sure. The fact that my whole sense of self was burned to the ground. But part of it is also about losing my mom. What's this? The, the pen. No, this is a good pen. What's that? Got the pen. What's that? The one pen? Yes. What's that? Okay. What's this? A few episodes ago, you heard me going through old things at my dad's house. I took home some old books and a few cassettes I found in my room. One of them was intriguing because it was labeled Tally Age 2. It turns out it's a tape from 1975 of me at my great-uncle's house in Liverpool, England. My mom took me to visit her mom, my grandmother. And in this tape, my great-uncle recorded toddler me talking to my mom. Cucumber's gone. Yeah, cucumber's gone. What's that? Hey? What's that? I was super excited to listen to the tape, What's this? but it turns out it's almost maddening in terms of how little it conveys. It's essentially my mom trying to show off my ability to recognize letters. And it's boring, because you can't even see what I'm reading from. I'm dying to hear interaction between us, but it's just more and more of this. Yeah, what's this? No. Then... There's a tiny moment. Are we going home with Grandma? No, go down. No, go home with Grandma? Yes. You want to go home with Grandma? My leg. Oh, dear. Mommy, kiss it. The tenderness in that moment is what I was craving. And it was like listening to myself today, talking to my own kids. I've become my mother in a way. Listen to this. Nighttime, and uh, I'm in Adam's room. This is what he sounds like when he's breathing. That's the sound of a little kid sleeping. Once the kids go to bed, it's always so quiet and everything seems so peaceful when the day is so chaotic. It's the end of the summer and it's been really hot. Today we went to the pool and Jack has been really struggling with swimming. And today he decided that he was going to swim across the deep end. And he kept trying and he kept trying. And he would like stop halfway and kind of look like he was drowning a little bit. His head would go underwater. And I kept having to go and swim out and lift him up so that he could breathe. But then he did it a whole bunch of times. And finally he was able to swim across. It wasn't pretty. (laughs) He did still look like he was drowning half the time. But he did it. And I was so proud. I took a video of it and I sent it to all my family and if that's not what my mom was doing in that tape with me and the alphabet I don't know what is
this time has made me feel so connected to my mom. It's like I got her back by being her. So I stayed there. You know, people have like a lot of rituals of things they do for people who died. Honor people in different ways. And I think that's it, you know, sometimes you just do things for people who aren't around anymore. Oh my god, now he's snoring. Now I'll read the part that's the narration that I wrote to end it off. Let me open my computer. We all have our own reasons for staying with our kids or for going back to work right away, even whether we decide to have kids or not. And maybe I'm just looking for reasons. Maybe I would have done it all the same anyway. Maybe this is just the story I want to tell about myself. I'm looking for my own way to be a mother, and work, and have it all. The Faya film was a big disappointment. I tried something and failed. But I'd be missing out if I didn't see that it's all about the rebuilding. As you can tell, my story is winding down. Without the film, there isn't much to structure my story around. But I want to keep doing the podcast. I'm just going to put a bow around this group of episodes and call it season one. I'm going to do season two with someone else's first day back. It might not be about motherhood, it might be a first day back from divorce, or college, it might be a first day back from Afghanistan or from a car accident. In fact, if you know someone who will be going through their own first day back, let me know. And more importantly, if you know someone who will be going through their own first day back and is in Montreal, definitely let me know. I can do maybe one episode with somebody in another city, but for a series, they'd have to be in Montreal. But I'm looking for all kinds of ideas, so hit me up. My email is tally at firstdaybackpodcast.com, or you can tweet to me at tallyapicassis. Also, iTunes reviews are still helpful because they help the show stay visible, even if I'm now in between seasons. Thanks to Delaney Simon, Lillian Einbinder, Elodie Schucker, Rob McGinley Myers, and Elias Blendon Stone. Musical thanks to Poddington Bear, Johnny Ripper, and the awesome Jonathan Hirsch from the podcast Arrivals. Speaking of Arrivals, it's a podcast that's part of The Herd, the collective First Day Back is a part of. His show is about personal transformations and has so many riveting stories. Here's a clip from one of them. America has been a nation of terror for blacks, believe me. Even nobody likes to say this or think it. But if your every waking moment has to be concerned about what somebody else thinks of you, that's terror. You can check it out wherever you listen to podcasts, and you spell it A-R-R-V-L-S. And check out all the other fantastic Herd shows at theherdradio.com. Thanks so much for listening and for all your support, and I'll see you as soon as I can with another story of First Day Back.